Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. about you, but sometimes God can be experienced in loud noises and loud music, and sometimes God shouts, and sometimes in Scripture we're called to shout to God. But there's other times in our lives that I believe that God wants to experience Him in the stillness and the silence. I don't know about any of you, but I feel like maybe life just keeps getting louder and louder. Busier and busier, stressful and more stress on top of that, more fear, more anxiety, or feelings of being overwhelmed. Maybe I'm not the only one that feels like the noise just keeps ramping up. For about the next 30 minutes or so, the most important voice that you're going to hear, maybe the most important thing that you could do this week, is not hear my voice or the worship team but hear the voice of your Father. And so we're going to start things off a little bit differently this morning, and we're going to ease into it. And if you can't remember the last time that you were still before God, we're just going to give you that gift right now and receive that gift, and I want to encourage you to be fully present to God. I'm just going to have the worship team just sing a simple song about the fact that God wants to speak to us. In fact, he wants to whisper to you this morning, but the only way that we can hear the whispers of God is if we're still and silent. So we're just going to bring the lights down a little bit. Don't fall asleep on me, but we're just going to spend some time in the presence of God and let's make this song our prayer. 1 Kings 19, the story of a man named Elijah that goes as well, he's running away from God. And as God always does, he pursues us. And it says there was a giant windstorm that was so loud that it makes the rocks of the mountains crumble. But God was not in the wind. And then there was a giant fire that came on and consumed the area, but God was not in the fire. And finally, there was a giant earthquake that shook the ground, but God was not in the earthquake. And then we read, after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. Elijah maybe remembered something that you and I often forget, that God is in the big things and the noise but God is also in the whispers. Theologians have debated for centuries about the meaning of those words in the original Hebrew, the gentle whisper, but the general consensus is the sound of utter silence. God was most fully present 
in the silence. And yet in our lives, most of the time, we think that if it's silent, that God is somehow absent. And God wants to speak in that silence to us this morning and in that whisper. Some people might say, well, that's a little odd. He's God. He can do anything. Why does he whisper? Well, you whisper when you're close. You don't have to shout because God's not across the room from you today. He's not absent. He's not up in heaven looking down upon you. He is closer to you than you will ever know. He's right there next to you, and he wants to speak to you. And if that's difficult for you, then it's okay. You're among friends. It's difficult for me too. Some of us have a really hard time with that. Some some of you, when I said we're going to have some time to be still, you're like, I don't like being still. Because when I'm still, then I get confronted by all the other, I I don't know what to do. It's it's awkward to, to be still, to not have any noise or clutter in my life. That's hard. That was five seconds, and some of you are losing your minds right now. When's the last time that you were still to hear the voice of God, to hear the whispers of God over your life? God wants to have a conversation with you. And I know it's been a long week and it's the weekend, so I'm going to have our team bring up the lights a little bit. We don't need anybody falling asleep, all right? We can hear God, but we're not going to fall asleep on him this morning. So when I say it's God wants to have a conversation with you, another word for that is Prayer. What comes to your mind when I say the word prayer? I'm just wondering. We're a very, very diverse church in a lot of different ways with a lot of different church backgrounds. When I say prayer, some of you are like, oh man, that's hard for me. I mean, if if I went around the room today, it would be awesome if every single one of us could raise our hands and say, yes, Pastor John, I feel completely confident with prayer. I, I know always I know how to hear the voice of God. I always hear him clearly. My life is never too busy to spend time in prayer. I spend time in prayer every single morning, and I'm never interrupted, and I never lose track of time, and I can very clearly hear the heart of God, and I, and I have no problem praying out loud and for others. Everybody? Probably not. The good thing is, is that you are not alone in that. Every single one of us has some struggles with prayer. I I talk to so many of you, and one of the themes that is consistent is that I don't feel completely confident in a life of prayer. And I think that that's a tragedy because I think that today God wants to peel back some of the layers and some of the, the religious trappings that get attached to prayer and the baggage that gets attached to it. And the good thing is if you struggle with that, like I do, you're not alone. Jesus' own disciples all throughout the Gospels are constantly asking him questions. Jesus, how should we pray and when should we pray and what type of prayer and what should I say? And again, this will be a test to see if you were paying attention last week for those of you that joined us for worship. It is another reminder that the disciples are just... Oh, I can tell you're really enthused. You're the 11 o'clock crowd. The disciples were just like... Us And that should bring great comfort that we are not alone. And so the disciples are asking Jesus, which leads us into our scripture for today. From Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching them, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and the street corners to be seen by others. But I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Instead, when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then he goes from there that you heard Brad read the Lord's Prayer. That's not some rote religious memory verse that we came up with as a church. This is something right from the heart 
of God. And there's a little shameless plug for Wednesday night as we always take the sermon, similar message on Wednesday night worship, and we go a little bit deeper. So if you want to go into that and dive into the Lord's Prayer, we're going to unpack that together on Wednesday night. But chances are for a lot of you, regardless of what denomination you grew up in, you probably have heard the Lord's Prayer said repeated over and over and again, and it's very easy for it to just become this rote, kind of dry, boring, religious meditation that we do, and we say the words and we don't think about it. Instead, not just with the Lord's Prayer, but with prayer in general. What if you could not wait to spend time with Jesus? What if prayer was the most delightful, joy-filled, natural thing that you could do, and there's nothing that you look forward to more? If you had the opportunity, think about this this morning. I want to challenge you with this. Put all your assumptions about prayer aside, and if I told you that you had the opportunity to talk to the kindest, most gracious, most loving, most understanding, most protective, most powerful, transformative being in the universe every single moment of every single day, would you say, I don't know, you have that opportunity. As in a relationship with God, we have that opportunity every single day. We have that chance, and it's called prayer. But unfortunately, it comes with some baggage. That's the offer, but how do we get there? How do we get over the hump a little bit? It might start by defining what prayer is. And if you think I'm going to start with bow your head and fold your hands, I'm not. Because that's not where God's story starts. In fact, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. If you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 3. I know you got your phone, so uh, pull up the YouVersion Bible app, and then you've always got God's Word right on hand. Genesis chapter 3, we're literally going to start in the beginning. Go ahead and go back one slide. In the beginning, you know the story. Adam and Eve are created by God in his image, which means if we're created in his image That means we're created in relationship out of the image of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is in relationship with himself. Therefore, we were created for a relationship. And yet we know in Genesis chapter 3, the story takes a dramatic turn. Adam and Eve eat from the forbidden tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then this happens. Aside from the tragedy that's taken place here, watch what God does in verse 8 of chapter 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was doing what? Walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among trees. Now, aside from the tragedy that's taking place, don't miss the original design, the original intention. God is pursuing us in relationship, and they have a conversation with God. Where were you? Well, we were ashamed, and we were naked, so we hid. And they had conversation before that. Just because something is broken doesn't mean we push it aside and say it's always been broken. God's original design for you was to have a conversational intimacy with him. Not a one-way street. Sometimes Pastor Hurst and I will hear people in all good intention come up to say, Hey, Pastor, would you throw one up there for me? Would you send a little prayer on up? And I, yep, I'll put it on my, zip it right up to the Microsoft cloud right now. As if that's how prayer works somehow. As if I have more access to God than you. We don't zip prayers up to heaven. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that is living in us and through us and everywhere around us. And he's closer to you than you could imagine. He's right there. The same God that was walking in the garden in the cool of the day walks with you every moment of your life. And he wants to have a conversation. 
But it's not just in Genesis chapter 3. Now we can go to the next slide. It's all throughout God's story. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is a sampling. I don't see anywhere in God's word sending something up to heaven. (laughs) I don't see that anywhere. What I see is dialogue, walking with God in Genesis chapter 3. And Noah said to God, and God said to Noah back and forth, you really want me to build an ark? Yes, I want you to build an ark. Are you sure, God? Yes. And they go back and forth having a conversation. Here's one of my favorite ones in Exodus 33. And God spoke to Moses. This is shorthand. It says, as friends speak to one another. Did you miss that? When the last time you read the Old Testament? Oh, it was God up on high, you know, giving the Ten Commandments to Charlton Heston. I mean, Moses, right? And God is up there and we're somehow down here. God and Moses spoke to one another as friends. Do you have that kind of a relationship with God? And then just to put the icing on top, Jesus reinforces this idea of this conversational relationship in John chapter 10. Jesus is using this illustration and he says, the shepherd, me, calls out his own sheep, us, by name and leads them out. John chapter 10 verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow them because they know his voice. This isn't a first century agricultural analogy that Jesus is pointing to us. Look at how the sheep follow the shepherd. He's saying, I'm describing to you the very nature of a relationship with God that is supposed to be normal. Not for some Christians. Everybody that knows the voice of the shepherd. It's not throwing a prayer up once in a while. It's literally walking with God, which when you think about it, is the most natural thing that you can do with your best friend, with your spouse, with your parent, with your child, with your coworker, whoever you would naturally go on a walk with. And sometimes in some of my prayer classes, I'll make it this simple. I'll say, here is your assignment. You want to learn how to pray? Read the Bible, number one. But secondly, go to Gray's Lake. Go, go to a path, a walking path somewhere, and go for a walk with somebody that you know very, very well and that knows you. And literally just go for a walk with them. And, and, and if you're loving to them and if you're a good friend or a good spouse, you're going to do more listening than talking. As most relationships are, you're going to listen and then you're going to talk. And you're going to listen and then you're going to talk. And then I say at some point, just stop walking together and go on separate paths and keep going with the same conversation except to God because he's literally as close as that other person was. Now, if other people catch you talking to yourself, then that's a whole other story. They might think you're a little strange. But you are literally talking with your best friend, the one that knows you better than anybody else. And that is how simple prayer can be. And I'm, if I'm walking around Gray's Lake with my best friend or my wife, I am not worrying one iota of how that comes out. I'm just being me. And you can just be you. And we don't have to worry about how it comes out. You and I were created for a conversational relationship with God. And not only that, just once in a while, but an all-in kind of lifestyle. And I want to ask you, does this describe your relationship with God? I was thinking about it in human terms. I remember the day that I proposed to my wife, Tiffany. And I remember it, one, because it was a defining moment of my life, and two, because it was coming fresh off of a Hawkeye Bowl game victory. So that's how I remember things uh, that happened. So we got that done, uh, and then, and if they would have lost, who knows? Uh, No, it was going to happen regardless. And so it was January 1st, I remember being so nervous about entering into that relationship and and, and popping the question, not because I was worried about what her response was going to be, but because I was thinking about what I am stepping into. 
Marriage isn't something you go, I got feel like it today, but I don't know, Tiffany, next week, I don't know if I feel like it or not. Some days you're not going to feel like it, amen? Some days you're not going to like each other, amen? But you're called to love each other, so I'm thinking about the priority, the investment that I am stepping into in her life. And so there's three things that, well, that little piece of metal on my finger for both of us means. And for those of you that are married, you'll get this and you understand this. That person, when, when we, we say I do, they are the number one priority in your life. Above all the other relationships, above her parents and my parents, we're leaving those relationships and we're cleaving to each other, as Scripture says. It's not that we don't love our, our family and our friends anymore, but they are the number one person in your life. They are the priority above all else. And not only that, but because of that, I make a con- we make an investment in each other. One of the sad things that happens that I tell every single couple that I do pre-marriage counseling with at the church is I said, here's the danger. A lot of couples get married and they stop dating. Well, the pursuit is done and I've got them and I feel comfortable and we have kids, but the problem is what your kids need more than anything else is a mom and dad that are madly in love with each other. And we do that intentionally. Well, you have a babysitter tonight. Where are you guys going? We're going on a date, baby. See ya, right? Because they need to see that. And whether you have kids or not, that is God's call in that kind of a relationship. To continually to invest, to say, I'm going to continue to pursue your heart. Not just coexist or co-parent with you, but I want to make that investment. And last but not least... (laughs) is to delight. Speaking of pre-marriage counseling, a couple months ago I was meeting uh, with a couple and I just always asked like, how's the wedding planning going and everything like that. And for 20 or 30 minutes, all they could tell me is we are so stressed. That we gotta get this booked and that book and we gotta make all these decisions and all of that. Like this is literally a month before they're getting married and our entire session was spent on how stressed they are about the wedding. And I said, are you guys having any fun? And they're like, Huh? Like a deer in headlights look. And I said, time out. Here's your one assignment before our next pre-marriage session. Go have fun together. That's the point of being engaged. That's the point of marriage. That's the point of any friendship is do you have fun together? And scripture reminds us that in God's presence is the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy. So when it comes to your relationship with God, do those three words describe it? Or am I going through the motions and is it full of duty and I'm showing up and I'm just kind of going through it? Or is it full of priority? Is he the number one priority in your life? Just as any human relationship and even more than that, are you investing the time and delighting in him? The fullness of joy. If you can't remember the last time that you just spent time with God and you laughed out loud, I just challenge you to do that. What if, what if just being with God, you just laughed out loud reading the Bible? And when I say joy, I don't mean happiness. Happiness is depending on my circumstances. That goes up and down all the time. If you're waiting around for happiness, it's always going to be contingent on your circumstances. But God says, I've got a deeper joy for you, a soul-level joy that you can experience, whether it's in marriage or friendship or with a coworker or a neighbor. I can experience that joy with God no matter what's going on in my life. Does that describe your relationship with God today? And if not, what needs to change? What shifts need to take place? 
And I just want to clear the air. Some of you are like, anything but. Man, my prayer life is a, is a disaster. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's the voice of God or the pizza that I had last night. I don't know. I feel so disconnected from God. And how do I pray and where do I start? You're not alone. You're in a church full of people that have the same struggles and questions when it comes to prayer, as does our friend Michael Jr. Now, before I show you this clip, I want to tell you a disclaimer. Maybe some of you, because we're a newer church, a lot of new people, and some of you are like, I grew up in a church and it was like forbidden to laugh. Like, don't even smile. Like, fun is not allowed in church, okay? It could not be the opposite here. It's actually a value that we have as a church. It's fun and joy. And so if, if, if you just feel that little urge inside of you, it might be from the Holy Spirit, it is okay to laugh. And I'd like you to elbow the person sitting next to you right now and say, hey, loosen up. Tell them that right now. Just elbow the person and say, loosen up, all right? Loosen up. Laughing is good for the soul and it's allowed in church, especially with Michael Jr. Take a look. And then going to church can be a little intimidating sometimes, like you're trying to look for the right church. You'll never find the perfect church, so you just stop looking for the perfect church because you ain't perfect. I went to one church, and uh, the pastor was like, I want you to pray with your neighbor. I'm like, my neighbor don't go to this church. <laughs> you want me to call my neighbor on the phone? That's creepy. So they explained to me, your neighbor is the person next to you. Amen. There you go. Straight from the heart. Straight from the heart. Now, I've heard some really weird prayers in my ministry. That has to be one of the strangest ones. So it's good to know that we're not alone in that. The good news is that you don't have to stay there. It wasn't that way for Jesus' disciples, and it wasn't that way for us either. God want, doesn't want to leave us where we are. Prayer does not have to stay as some weird, complicated thing that only other people do. It can be for you as well. But as I said, it comes with some myth busting because there's a ton of baggage out there about prayer that we want to strip away today and we want to bust some of those myths today so that we can experience everything that God has for us in prayer. Amen? All right, so here's what we're going to do. Number one, what if I do it wrong? I can't tell you how many people I've said, let's just get really practical. What if I do it wrong? I can't pray like them. I can't, what, what if I say the wrong thing? And I love how Jesus just gets right to it in our reading for today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Do not pray like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Jesus is making it clear, I'm not judging on length and I'm not judging on style. In fact, how do we know that? The original ancient Greek word that we get the English word hypocrite from is actually stems back to an actor or an actress on stage, a player on stage that's playing a role. What does that say? Jesus says to you this morning, you can stop with the need to perform. You can stop worrying about how it's coming out and, and how other people are praying and that I don't measure up and that I don't pray like them. We can also stop with the judgment towards other people to say if you don't pray in a certain way or the way that I learned that somehow it's not spiritual enough or that God's not going to hear you. In fact, Jesus tells us just the opposite. I've heard so many people miss the heart of God and what he has for them because they get hung up on what if I don't do it right and I don't want to pray because I don't want to reveal some of those things to God. Boom. He knows already. I hate to break it to you, but he knows all of it already. 
While we were still sinners, Romans says, Christ died for us. And if the God that created everything and created you and knows everything about you sent his son Jesus and saw you in our dirt and in our filth and in our sin and in our shame, in our worst possible setting, in the worst possible circumstances, we really think that he who said, I loved you even while you were still a sinner in your mess, we really think that that same God is going to be worried if your prayer doesn't come out right. I beg to differ. I don't see that anywhere in the heart of God. In fact, sometimes the most genuine prayer is help. No, that's it. Help. God, it says, I'm looking at your heart this morning and I want to know if it's open to me. Sometimes the most genuine, the deepest spiritual prayer you can pray is thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, if it's overflowing from that genuine place inside. And instead of being an actor on a stage or an actress, Jesus says, go into your room. Now, is that the only way we can pray? No, the Bible says very clearly to pray out loud to pray without ceasing, to pray for other people so that they may be healed. But why does Jesus in this instance contrast what the hypocrites are doing, what the Pharisees are doing, and he says, go into your room? Because when you are in secret, there's no need to impress everybody. That crutch has been removed. And Jesus says, that's the way it should be all the time. Whether you're praying in your room or you're praying with other people, it's as if you are in your room. And a large part of prayer is building our lives on the foundation of our identity that you already have the approval of your Father in heaven. And I'm not going to be so worried if John prays like somebody else. Because I, ha I, I know that and I'm choosing to believe that in my heart of hearts that my Father delights in me. So what is Jesus saying in John chapter 6? Go ahead and go to the next slide. When you've heard the whisper of heaven, you no longer need the approval of the crowd. And some of you have flipped that for most of your adult lives, and because you are straining for the approval of everybody else, you've missed the whisper of heaven that says, this is who you are. You are my son, you are my daughter, and you have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, and nothing to fear, because I loved you from the beginning. That right there should loose the chains that have been around you when it comes to your relationship with God. He loves you so much. And for some of you, maybe these last 18 months, these last two years have been so hard because you feel so disconnected from him. He never left. And he wants to speak that identity and that truth over you. <laughs> and we just come into prayer, and even if I never get the results that I want, Jesus says that's where the treasure is, is being with your Father. And the gifts are great, but I'm here in prayer for the giver because I want to connect with the heart of God. Some of you are still saying, John, I get that, and that sounds so awesome but where do I even start? How do I learn to pray? I'll be honest with you. I'm still working at that myself, but the two things that have really helped me, number one, I remember when I was in high school and college and I was really growing in my faith, one of the best things that I did is I just started hanging out with other people that were a little bit farther down the journey. I joined small groups. I was in a youth group. I was in a college ministry. I found a couple mentors in the faith, and I just started listening to them pray. Now, do I pray like them? I don't know. There's probably bits and pieces of my prayer life that I've pulled from other people, 
that I've looked up to and admired. But what I do is I don't copy them. I just learn the unforced rhythms of prayer. And the other thing that we have to do is we got to know God's word. How are we going to know what God wants to say to us today if we haven't taken the time to hear what he's already said to us in the past? Amen? And what God is speaking to us is living an active word in the present. So if you don't know what to pray, spend time in God's word. And sometimes the safest thing to pray is just scripture, is to be fluent in God's word, just as you would be fluent in another language and it just naturally comes out of you. I want to be the kind of people that when we pray, that God's word is just right there on our lips. And that way I don't have to conjure something. What am I going to pray for this person? Most of the time when people come up for prayer, like, they got prayed for by one of the pastors. Magic, right? Most of the time I'm just trying to remember God's word that he spoke to me that week. And that's what I'm praying over you. Because way more than you need to hear my voice is you need to hear God's voice. Amen? So find some others to pray with and know God's word. Become fluent in it. Myth busted. The other thing that I think that we struggle with, another myth that needs to be busted, is this. Prayer is only for super spiritual Christians. Or, you know, like the professionals, the pastors, or the worship leaders, or things like that. I could never pray like that. I don't have the gift of prayer. And if we're honest... Some of you might have grown up in church settings where the only person that prayed was the man or woman on the stage that was wearing the robe or the stole or there was up front, there was the priest or the pastor. And that's fine and that's good that they led you through prayer, but nowhere in scripture do I see it ending there. Because our job as leaders and pastors is to equip you to pray. In 1 Peter we read that we are a, ro- a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Everybody say priest. Do you know what the role of the priest was in the Old Testament? Was to represent the people before God and that priestly nation, the Levites were said, they had this special access to God. And then Peter comes along in the New Testament and says this radical thing. You are a royal priesthood. Every single one of you. Luke picks up on this in the book of Acts as he's writing and and remembering what the Spirit is saying to God's people in the time of Pentecost. Is that, that, that God says, in those days, these days, I will pour out my Spirit on All people. What people? All people. What people? All people. And that includes you. It's not just for the super spiritual people. One of my favorite stories is Elijah. Here's a a glamour shot with a little Instagram filter for Elijah there this morning in his day. But here's one of my favorite, not so well-known verses in all of Scripture. Let's read it together. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that it would not, no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. I'd be like, Elijah, you want to come to Iowa and pray the opposite uh, for our farmers? We could use some more rain, right? I love this statement right here. He was as human as we are. In, in other words, Elijah was a normal person. Some of you are like, I'm not one of those Christians. I'm just a normal Christian. Well, first, there is no normal Christian because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you this morning. And so stop playing it small and start living into the calling and the faithfulness of God that he's put in your life. You are not a normal Christian. Elijah was an ordinary dude. And whether you think you're an ordinary dude or an ordinary dudette, the spirit of God lives in you. It's not just for some people myth busted. Oh, here's the next one that some of us struggle with. If you're anything like me, John, I get it. I'm all in for prayer. I don't have time. Are you kidding me? It's 2021. Maybe you've got a family or kids or your busy social life or your work is all consuming. You've got a lot of hobbies, anything that can get in the way. I'm spinning a lot of plates, John. I don't have time for prayer. 
I love how Paul puts it. Go ahead and go to the next one in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul says this, always be joyful. Let's read this together. Never stop praying. Another translation says pray always. Pray without ceasing. Some of you are like, how do I do that? Should I shut my eyes while I'm driving? Like I can't pray like that. Pray without ceasing. If prayer isn't just shooting some prayers up to heaven and prayer is actually a conversation, a two-way conversation, then praying without ceasing is just as simple as going throughout my day and I never hang up. I always wonder when I use illustrations about phones while I still do this because I haven't had a landline for 10 years. (laughs) Hang up, hello. You know when you butt dial somebody or you just forget to hit end on a call? And then you're like, okay, when are they going to hang up? This is awkward, right? I could hear everything on the other end of their conversation. It's kind of like that. Some of us have been trained to think that amen means bye. Amen means let it be so, and I'm just going to keep you on the line, God, the entire day. I'm going to go throughout my entire life in everything that I do, and you're just always there well because you are. And I'm just going to keep a two-way conversational relationship going. Maybe it's that you and I, it's not that we don't have time, it's just that we stopped listening. God has been speaking since the moment that you were born. And if you're anything like me, a lot of it you just missed. Because I think I got to do all these things for God. There's a quote by Martin Luther, yes, the Martin Luther himself, who was very, very busy as a theologian, as a lawyer, as a professor, as a priest. And he's speaking of his busyness and his prayer life. And he said of his busiest days, his busiest days, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first two hours in prayer. And what you don't know is the context around that is that Luther would spend the first hour of his day on a normal day, a normal busy day, with an hour of prayer. And he said, I'm so busy and I have so much to do that I'm actually going to double up on my prayer because that's how much I'm desperate for Jesus. And I think if you're like me, it's probably the opposite. God, I've got so much to do for you today that something's got to go, so it's probably church this week. It's probably my small group. It's probably prayer. Nobody's going to know. Yeah, just your starving soul that was created to commune with the living God. For some of us, it's not that you don't know how to pray. It's that the pace of your life is in direct contradiction to the life you say you want. And even if you wanted to hear from God, there's too much noise. N.T. Wright is one of the foremost New Testament theologians of our day. And he says this. If we would simply slow down, we might learn to catch up with God. If you're like me, you need to read that about ten times to get it through your thick head. Oh, God, I get it. So being a Christian is just a whole bunch of things I got to do. And then, and then you'll love me. And then you'll approve of me. And God says, actually, I don't need anything from you. I just want you. I don't need your church attendance. I don't need your Bible study attendance. I don't need your perfect prayer life. I just want you. And if you would slow down, maybe you would find that God's not running out there saying that pure exhaustion is my desire for you as a Christian. And yet some of us have lived our entire lives like that. It's not about the amount. I don't want you to go home and say, well, Martin Luther prayed for two hours every day, and I'm a terrible Christian. I can only do five minutes. Start there. 
Some days that's what it is for me. Yes, one of your pastors saying, some days I pray for five minutes. I talk to God all throughout the day, but that intentional prayer time at the beginning, and sometimes what I'll do is as simple as this. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Ways to slow down. It's just a simple method. If you want to take a picture of the slide, you can and use it later. There's no magic formula to it, but it's a way of remembering. It's SOAP. It's an acronym. Scripture, observation. So I start with a short amount of scripture. I'll do a little bit of observation and say, what's going on here? A is for application. God, what might this say about something in my week or my life? And then the P is for prayer, soap. And that takes five minutes or less. If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. You're doing damage to your soul. It's not about meeting a quota. You're just missing out on the fresh bread that's available to you every single day. Soap, I've talked about the pause app. There's plenty of apps that can be right there on your phone that help you with a daily office that pause throughout the day. And last but not least, journaling. Some of you are like, John, you have a journal? You have a diary? Right? Are you a little girl? No, I'm a man and I love to talk to God. And almost every day since college, I, have a, I don't know about you, but I have a really hard time paying attention. And so sometimes what I'll do is I'll write my prayers out. And I'll just journal. And I would encourage you to do the same if that's a struggle for you. Maybe... Prayer is also for you. Oh, John, that's not it for me. My struggle is is that it just seems like one more thing on the to-do list. And I get it. And some of us live this mentality is that when you become a Christian, you just get a whole list of things that if you don't do really well, then you just feel more guilty than you did before you became a Christian. Oh, I need to go to worship now. I need to join a small group. I should probably serve. I should probably read my Bible. And I should probably pray more, but Paul speaks right into the face of that in Romans chapter 8, and he says this, so you have not received a spirit that makes you slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now we call him Abba Father. Abba in the original Aramaic there literally translates as daddy, the same thing that my two little kids yell when they run up unashamedly onto my lap. And oh wait, that's how God teaches us to pray the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father literally translates as Daddy, who art in heaven. Maybe that's how we start with prayer. Some of us think that Christianity is all these things I got to do to behave, and I'm going to do all these things to earn God's approval. Well, you can't earn something that you already have, and Christianity is not a call to behave. Christianity is a call to behold the greatness of Jesus, to fix our eyes on him and be consumed by his greatness, and he starts to change us from the inside out, and all of a sudden, prayer moves from duty to delight, and it moves from a get-to to a got-to. Amen? If you're struggling with prayer... If you're struggling with prayer, chances are it's because you've got your eyes on the wrong thing. You've got your eyes on you and your performance. And God says, get your eyes off of me and off of you and onto me because I'm the author and perfecter of your faith. It's not about you and your performance. It's about me and my performance. You just show up. God says, I'm already there. And I'll take care of the rest. And if we're honest, it's kind of one final myth or struggle that we have and I think it gets in the way of us experiencing prayer in a, in a corporate sense here as a church and that we just miss out. We all know that prayer is just for people with real issues. You ever get a little judgy? I think we all do sometimes and you kind of look around the church and you're like, man, they got some real issues. They should probably go up for prayer today. It's not me. I know who that dude voted for. Get on up there for prayer. God needs to change your heart, brother. 
We start looking around or it's the opposite of like, I know what's going on in my life, but, but that lady's got cancer. And I know what their family is, so God, I'm sure God doesn't have any time for me. There's no way that I would ever walk up to the front of a church and receive prayer. What if it was the opposite? If we knew the power of God that we could experience as we pray for one another that we might be healed, maybe it would change our entire perspective on prayer. James 5 goes on to say, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. In other words, and anywhere on that spectrum is fair game. Prayer is not for people that have issues. Oh wait, it is because we all have issues, amen? Every single one of us is in that boat and every single one of us has a reason to come up and pray. Yes, Maybe it's something we can pray for, for healing or something terrible that's going on in your life. But when's the last time you just came up for prayer so that you could celebrate the faithfulness of God together with a brother or sister in Christ? What would, what would it look like for us as a church if there were just pockets of prayer just popping all over this sanctuary and at home as those of you worship online, wherever you are, that it would be the most natural thing? Of course I'm going up for prayer. Why would I ever come to worship <laughs> and not have somebody pray for me, that that would be the most normal thing, whether it's up here or in the pew or at home, it doesn't make it any less spiritual or who's doing it for that matter. That same spirit lives in all of us. We have an incredible prayer team here at Hope Elam and they do an amazing job, but their role, just like every other team at Hope Elam, is not to do it all, but to equip us as a church to pray. And in that case, I'm looking at the prayer team right now. Congratulations, you didn't know it, but in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you've been deputized and you're on the prayer team. Why? Not because I said so, but because God's word says so. Every single one of you is on the prayer team because you follow Jesus Christ. That's what it means to pray. That's the call for all of us. Not just for people with issues. Man, what if it was the most normal thing to come on up? And because I've heard the whisper of heaven, I don't need to pander to the approval of the crowd. I don't care what the person next to me thinks because I'm not living for them and their approval. I'm living for the audience of one. So I want to end with a story this morning that just kind of rocked my boat several years ago, about five or six years ago. One of our old locations, one of our other pastors was preaching and I was just uh, down front helping as a prayer partner that day and, and they preached about prayer and they made a call to, to come on up for prayer. And so I was down in front, down here, praying and I prayed with several people and I hadn't been announced. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew my name or anything. And this guy starts walking down the aisle. Let's just call his name Spike. And Spike came, came up the aisle and I'm like, certainly he's not here to talk to me. I mean, this guy looks like he's going to rough somebody up. Because it's really good to judge by appearances. And so, especially as a pastor. And so he just comes walking up the middle aisle. I mean, he's, not, he's not here for me. He's not making eye contact. Oh, yes, he's making eye contact with me. And he literally walks down the middle aisle and gets up in my grill. I mean, right up here. Okay? And, I, and, and the thought went through my head. You know what? I never thought that my life would end this way. I never, I never thought it would end this way, but this guy is going to rip me apart piece by piece. And somehow he found out on the pastor, and he has no time for church, and no time for Jesus, and no time for pastors, and this is how it's going to end. Pastor makes a call for prayer, and then we never saw him again. And he says, hey, who are you? Are you one of the pastors here? And I'm like, yeah. And then he goes, what's your name? 
Like he's this close to my face. And I just had this freak out moment. I just, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to tell him my real name. I just yelled at the first thing that popped on my head. what's your name? He said, I don't know, Michael Hurst. I don't know, I didn't say that. <laughs> and I said, brother, what, what brings you up here today? And he puts his arm around me and we sit down in the front row together and he begins to pour out his heart to me and he said, this is my first time here. I wandered up and I saw as a part of your name on your church as hope and I thought I could use me some of that. So here I am. And he went on to tell me that he's recently been divorced. He's really hurting. He's really lonely. He feels far away and disconnected for God. And he said, I just walked into this church this morning and I wondered if somebody could pray for me. And for about the next 10 or 15 minutes, we sat down and we wept together and I prayed for him. And he poured out his heart to God. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. Because prayer breaks down barriers and pain has no color. Pain has no color and, 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 and pain has no bias when it comes to our economic levels or where we've come from or how long we've been a church or how long we've been following Jesus. Because in that moment, it was one beggar telling another beggar where to get some food that is the bread of life that is Jesus Christ. Because at the, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Amen? And so we sat there that day and prayer broke down those barriers. And that's, Hope Elam, how we become family. When we set our differences aside and say maybe, maybe at the foot of the cross we can be united in prayer. And that's what we're going to do today. Families pray together and families share meals together. And so that's what we're going to do first is we're going to receive communion together. And then I'm going to invite anybody that wants to come forward for prayer. So wherever you're at, online, in person, let's stand together and you can grab your communion kits at this time. Don't open them yet. We'll pray together. I know you're antsy, but let's... uh, Let's slow down and remember that it was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus was with those disciples and he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, take and eat. Again, after supper, he gave them the wine and after he blessed it, he gave it to them saying, take and drink, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. And then the amazing thing is that God, well, through Jesus Christ, taught us how to pray something we call the Lord's Prayer. It was right in our scripture reading for today. And before we take the bread and the wine, I want us to slow down and and pray it together and think about what you're saying. And let's pray it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So if you're in the room, you can go ahead and take your kit. If you're at home, you can grab whatever elements that you have. And together, let's peel off that first layer and receive that wafer, and you can take and eat the body of Christ broken for you. And then when you're ready, just hold it tightly, and you can take off the second layer. If you're at home, receive your wine or your grape juice or whatever you have and receive the blood of Christ shed for you. And now that you have received the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, May you know that right now here this morning your sins are completely forgiven and that you have a fresh start 
in his grace, that you are filled with his spirit. And because of that, we are empowered to pray for each other. And so what we're going to do is the band's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a final song. I don't know about you, this is the most important thing I think we can do this week, is pray for each other. In the highs and the lows, if you need somebody to celebrate with, if you need somebody to cry with you, if you just need somebody to put their hand on your shoulder and not say a word, come on up and let us pray for you. This is what families do, Hope Elam. And it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. We're just going to worship and we're going to pray and we're going to be fully present and slow down and be with God for a few moments. Let's worship together. Let's pray together. We'll have some prayer partners down here in front. If you're on staff or a prayer partner, come on down and we would love to pray for you. Let's sing together. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.